The apotheosis is upon us. Yay! Yay! I don't want to see an ordinary film. I want to see something extraordinary. Your sacrifice completes my sanctuary of 1,000 testicles. You ever feel as if your mind had started to erode? Let's rock indeed. All right, welcome to 1,000 Wives of Weird, the podcast, which is a celebration of everything weird, mostly movies. I'm Billy Martell, and with me as always is my co-host... Brad Hefner. And today we're not talking about a movie, we are instead talking about a filmed stage musical produced independently by the production company Starkid. Uh, if you've been following along with our show for this long, you may know... Since the beginning, you may know about... Hawking back, true believer. Hawking back. To episode four. Episode four, was it? I think so. Okay. Because well, it would have been after three Deva Dem. That's true. Yeah, so I think it's episode four, the musical Me and My Dick, uh, about a man and his anthropomorphic penis yes. and their adventures. This That was one of their earliest shows. This is one of their most recent. It just came out in 2018. And it's uh, called The Guy Who Didn't Like Musicals. And it is a independent horror musical about horror comedy musical. Horror comedy musical, yes. Uh, everything that they do is 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 tingent with comedy, and this is uh, while it does have horror elements, it is definitely still a comedy. Yes, and uh, it is something that we've always talked about the the troubles, Brad and I, the troubles of getting horror concepts across on stage. Yes. The plot of this particular musical is very straightforward. It's pretty much the first plot you would think of when thinking of the name, the guy who didn't like musicals. I mean, I did not see this coming. Oh, you did not? No. Okay. All right. Uh, I, I, I think I did because I was whenever when I heard that I immediately thought of the community episode with the Glee Club. Yes, which this is very reminiscent. Very of. reminiscent of because they're both drawing from the same source material, which is Invasion, Invasion of the, the Body, Body Snatchers. Snatchers. But uh, the idea is that there's a guy he doesn't like musicals, very sort of average, awkward Joe, uh, and he wakes up one morning, and because of shenanigans science fiction shenanigans because of meteorites because of meteorites the world has is slowly turning into a musical and as he says in the show it you might think it doesn't sound scary but that's because you haven't thought about the implication that's the the brief summary and as always we're going to talk about our opinions before going into a more detailed breakdown and analysis so yep. brad what did you think of the guy who didn't like musicals, and would you recommend it? Now, as all our diehard fans remember from the <laughs> Me and My Dick episode, yes, I did not mind Me and My Dick, yeah. but I was not particularly up on it. Right, yeah. You were, it was, you were sort of like, eh, it was fine. fine. Yeah. And so going into this, as much as I like to avoid uh, preconceived notions, sure. I was like, my one experience with Starkid... I didn't really enjoy. Right. I'm not going to enjoy this either. Mm -hmm. And so for about the first half hour, I was sort of like, this is fine. Right. I can't recommend it, but it's, it's acceptable. It starts the first half hour. It takes about a half hour to get really going. Yes. Yeah. After that half hour, which was around when I texted you and I was like, I don't think I'm going to have a lot to say about this. And then 
the music started getting a lot better. Mm-hmm. I started laughing out loud and not just going like, that's funny. Right. Yeah. yeah Which yeah. I did a lot during me and my dick. Right. And I did a lot during the first half hour of this. Mm-hmm. And then I started to really enjoy it. Uh, I would definitely recommend it. Wow. It's, uh, it's not perfect, no. but it's a good time. Uh, my measure of a good musical is if afterwards I like want to listen to the music. Right. I think that's a very basic. I think that's a good. A ground level. <laughs> like. I think that's a good metric. After I saw Greatest Showman, I was like, I couldn't remember a single fucking song as I was no, walking you, out the door. You literally can't remember any of them. Um, and this, I was like, I don't. Today, I wasn't like humming songs to myself. I didn't remember any, but I was like, shit, that cop song was fantastic. Yeah. I, the, Step uh, some, out of the vehicle. <laughs> Step some other numbers were fantastic. So it was still on my mind. Yeah. So yeah, I definitely would recommend it. Billy? Well, yeah, I, I absolutely recommend this. I to, to your point, I have listened to the soundtrack of this musical more than I have listened to the soundtrack of almost any other Starkid show except maybe the Batman one, but that's mostly because I'm such a Batman nerd. Yes. It has less to do with the quality of the music. And, yeah. Yeah, but the the uh, the quality of this music is definitely a high point for Starkid. Yes. Uh, it, it's kind of a joke among the fandom that we we really enjoy their their stuff. Their music is not always the best. No. The music in this show... Is is so good, especially compared to most of Starkid stuff. And both of us being theater people, yeah. there's moments that I want to talk about where it's just like, where I'm just going to be like, oh my god, the energy is so good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the 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 yeah, no, the performances are so great. They, it's a co- combination of some of the best actors from classic Starkid. There are some returning cast members from Me and My Dick. Yep. And also some brand new faces and some up-and-comers who had been working their way up in the company for a while who just explode yes. on stage in this show, especially in the last half. And it's I, I really appreciate how... It's funny, because the first time I watched it, I did not think it was my... It, it's it's still not my favorite Starkid show, but like it it didn't immediately grab me as like oh yeah this one's gonna stay with me yeah, uh, but the more that I have sat on it and now rewatching it for the show, I'm totally sold on it and I I think it it's one of the tightest written best produced Starkid musicals and and it just like the very Potter musical started the Starkid fandom in the beginning getting all the Potterheads involved and, yeah. and getting everybody excited this did a lot of the same thing. The, the The guy who didn't like musicals became a started a whole new wave of Starkid fandom, along with another musical that we probably won't talk about on the show called Firebringer, because I'm not a fan of it, but a lot of people are. No, I absolutely love the show. As a theater nerd, it makes my heart so happy yes. to see these guys going at it. And I also enjoy uh, how funny it is, but also how heartbreaking and depressing... And uh, even disturbing it can be at times. Mm-hmm. Um, it is ironically a kind of a... There is some gore elements to it, but... Yes. Uh, because it's on stage, it is... And, and it's an independent company from Chicago, I think. Uh, it is very, very not good gore. <laughs> we'll talk about it when we get there. We'll yeah. talk about it when we get there. Yeah, sure. Let's let's start talking about the uh, the plot of the show. Yep. Again, much like me and my dick, this show is available for free to watch 
uh, on YouTube, uh, uploaded by the creator. So, so you can, you can go and you can watch it, but, uh, stick around and, and we'll talk about it. Uh, the show starts with the opening number, which is the, the title song, the guy who didn't like musicals. The music for this show is written. The lyrics and music are written by a fairly new cast member to, um, star kid named Jeff Blim. Okay. Who plays a bunch of characters. Everyone in this show except for the main character plays a bunch of characters in the show. Yes. That is one of the few bones I had to pick. Really? The cast should have been a little bigger. Oh, okay. I uh, the There are a lot of very small characters. True, mm-hmm. but I don't know. At least keep the mains and have mm-hmm. I just felt like the That's what they did with me and my dick. They had a lot of extras. True. Yeah. But I just at times I was just like maybe a few more cast members just because okay. it's sure it's I, very small, but I was okay with it because it is kind of a trope of theatrical productions that you have uh like five actors playing a hundred people. True. Uh <laughs> but uh yeah, so so they're they're uh there's a relatively small cast, but they play multiple different characters. Uh Jeff Blim uh, did you look up the cast listing? Do you know who I'm talking about? Yes, the guy who plays... Um, the boss. The boss and the boss Sam and, and Sam. General McNamara. Yeah, he's got long hair and he's he's kind of... His style of performance is very Jim Carrey. Yes, uh, he's he was my favorite. Oh, yeah. He no, was... He's, he's, he's fantastic. Yeah, he's, he's not my personal favorite in this show, but uh, he is always... He always brings the energy. Uh, another show we might talk about from them is another show that he wrote... Uh, based on the Oregon Trail, and he plays yeah, I keep seeing that on the YouTube uh, trail to Oregon. He plays the father in that show, and it's absolutely hilarious. I will reveal one of my prejudices. Okay, I really enjoyed this performer. Mm-hmm. I do not care for men with long hair. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. It's, oh, you know what it is? What is it? The Bible. <laughs> the Bible had a lot of people with long hair. No, including Samson. Bible movies. Have people oh, with long hair. Okay. The Bible says men with long hair is a no-no. I don't think the Bible says that. I'm pretty sure it does. It has Samson. I've talked to people who have gone to school for Bible. Okay. And they said that it's a sin. I think that those people were wrong, because I don't remember that from my Bible school. Well, your Bible school happened on a compound where all you did was listen to compound. Billy Squire... No. And Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> and your dad stockpiled guns. <laughs> we didn't just listen to Billy Squire and, and, and uh, Bruce Springsteen. We also listened to Adventures in Odyssey. Okay. Uh, but That was how the leader spoke to you? <laughs> yeah, the leader spoke to us in subliminal the, messaging through Adventures in Odyssey. Those were your cue drops you had to... <laughs> Those were our cue drops. You yes. had to interpret the stories and be like, "Oh, this is this is why Dad won't let us wear mixed fabrics." <laughs> mixed fabrics, holy shit! Uh, <laughs> no, uh, but now that is in the Bible. <laughs> okay, you can't wear polyester or you'll go to hell. <laughs> but uh, in in the Bible, there's specifically a superhero named Samson. No, I'm aware of who Samson. Grows long hair and gets superpowers. And then they they cut his hair off, and he doesn't have the powers anymore until he prays to God, and then he can knock down the pillars. Okay. Yeah. But it seems like he only comes to God after he loses this hair. Well, God gave him the hair in the first place. Did he, or was it devil hair? (laughs) 
<laughs> it was god hair. It are was you sure? God are you sure this isn't a usual suspects twist? <laughs> anyway, so start with the tri- title tracks. Uh, I did not care for this. You, you didn't no, like it, it? it didn't draw me in. I wasn't. It's. One, I think it's one of the weaker numbers. <sighs> okay, I, I I greatly enjoyed the song. Uh, I think it does help if you are already a fan of Star Kid when you. Yeah. The show is definitely a very traditionally Star Kid like number. Well, yeah. Like so, I said, I went into it being like, I'm probably not going to like this. Yeah. Uh, you went into it going like, I'm probably going to like this. I love Star Kid. Um, yeah. But for me, and again, I didn't know where this show was going to go. So it was just like, mm-hmm. yep, he doesn't like musicals. Right. And it's a musical. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's comedy. <laughs> so yeah, this song makes a big deal about uh, the the guy. He's the guy who doesn't like musicals. And uh, they, the song breaks down sort of the formula of musicals. They say that that uh, all musicals are, are all about people who who have great emotions and, and great struggles and then they say but all those stories have been told this is the last remaining story to tell it's a story of the guy who doesn't like musicals and at first they start describing the plot they say that there's a guy named Paul he's uh he's an ass he's a bitch he's a he's a cuck yep uh they talk about um uh, how he's in love with a, a barista and stuff like that. But then they start making these sort of bizarre statements Yes, that kind of threw me off the first time I was listening to the show. Well, before you get into that, yeah, I also want to quibble with this play's thesis okay. that this is the last musical story to tell. Okay. I think the last musical story to tell would be about a woman mm-hmm. with a horse's head. Okay. And snakes for nipples, who gives birth out of her asshole. It gives birth out of her asshole. <laughs> I think that is the last <laughs> musical story to tell. What is so so as as I uh, as is I asked very often in the show. What does she want? What is the story? Well, she wants this baby out of her butt. She wants the baby out of her butt. Yes. Okay. Um. Yeah. Okay. That's. I haven't thought about this a lot. I was just. <laughs> You brought up that this is the last, that mm-hmm. they assert this is the last idea to do a musical about. Right. And I was like, I can think of a million more last ideas. Sure. I can think of the lastest idea. <laughs> Fair Fuck enough. Fuck you, Jeff Blim. I will come up, the pod, our endeavor is now changed. <laughs> okay. We're now team star adult, and we are just going to make the most outre musicals in the world. And everyone and all the posters are just going to be a middle finger, and it says "fuck you, Jeff Blim" on the back of the hand. This is this ironically, this is very similar to my main. Like a lot of people who grew up conservative, I am not a fan of the song "Imagine" by John Lennon. Oh, it's terrible. But one of my least favorite parts of that song is not one that most people don't like. It's the bit where he says, "Imagine yada yada yada." I wonder if you can. I'm like, fuck you, John Lennon. I grew up with Sesame Street. My imagination is the most powerful. I grew up in Elmo's place. Fuck you. Yeah, I'm glad he got shot. I'm not going to go that far. I will. Fuck John Lennon. I'm glad he got shot. (laughs) I will say fuck John Lennon. I'm not going to say I'm glad he got shot. Would you cry if Sir Paul McCartney got shot? I wouldn't cry, but I would be sad. What if he got shot in front of you? (laughs) Jesus. 
I don't know. I've never seen a man die before. I, I, at least by gunshot wound, I, I, I might die, might cry. What if it's like one of the more brutal John Wick killings? <laughs> Jesus. What if it's, and it's John Wick doing it. It's just, so that not, might not, not Keanu Reeves. No, it's John Wick. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a cartoon all stars to the rescue. <laughs> John Except Wick it's sh- action all-stars to murder Paul McCartney. <laughs> like, you've been on drugs for too long. You've, you've I've had enough of silly him. love songs. <laughs> so so my argument against what you're saying is that, like, yeah, there's there's always that sort of, like, uh, I... That, that sort of imagine... You don't I, need I, to argue against the bit. No, no, what I'm saying is I... I my theory about this song, because at first when I when I first heard it, it was confusing to me. I was like, "The last remaining story to tell." Fuck you, you know, and and uh, stuff like that. But what I think is is the sort of the the actual context for the song. Once you see the musical a second time, which this was, was my only my second only time seeing the show yes. for this podcast, uh, is that this song actually takes place towards the end of the show. That's right, because yeah. they do a reprise. They do a reprise, and when they say the last remaining story to tell, they're it's talking the about last the last story remaining of person's, the story. Yeah, the last remaining person of the story. Uh, as we find out, the alien thing that is enveloping everyone into this musical need stories from people they they don't just sing pop songs they're specifically musical theater nerds yes. from space and they need stories they need i want statements that they can turn into songs from the cast members and from the characters uh but yeah so if you're just listening to this for the first time like brad was and i was the last time i saw this they start saying some very weird non sequiturs like it's the end of the world if Paul doesn't sing, and uh, talking about the apotheosis. The, they say the apotheosis is upon us, yay! And they say uh, that they'll teach Paul how to love and obey. So, like I said, I, I, I'm pretty sure this is actually a flash forward in the story. Yeah, uh, they introduce Paul. And they say he's a piece of shit before running off stage and beginning the story. The dialogue for this show is written by uh, Nick and Matt Lang. The same people who wrote uh, the book for Me and My Dick and also every other Star Kids show. Uh, they always write the dialogue, which is why the dialogue in every Star Kids show has a very consistent feel yes. uh, to it. And that's why, for again, not just the first half hour, but throughout, mm-hmm. although I started laughing out loud more, I just sort of would go, that is funny. Right. <laughs> It's I not, recognize it's, that as funny. It's, it's not, not making me humor. feel anything, sure. but I can recognize that as funny. Sure. not It's, it's not Brad's scene. I want to bring up a technical aspect of this show sure. that really stood out to me. Mm-hmm. I first noticed it when they're talking about Hamilton later. Yeah. But I have never seen, and Grant, I don't watch a lot of live theater because it's terrible. <laughs> sure. A lot of live theater is bad. I mean, just in general as a concept. Okay. Person who's been in multiple plays. I never said I enjoyed it. I just happened to be good at it. (laughs) I see. By popular demand, you keep coming back. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's like if I was like... The demanding public. It's like if I were a great boxer, but Uh I could only punch myself. It's like, well, shit, I got a box. It's the only thing I'm good at. But, (laughs) damn, damn, damn. But... 
in this show, yeah. they thread their mics through their hair. Yes, they do. And it attaches to just the top of their forehead. Mm-hmm. I've never seen that before. It is a very common Broadway tactic. I'm sure it is. Like I said. <laughs> but I was like, when I saw that, I was like, that makes so much more sense than Does every it? than a lav or like the the down the cheek, right. which always stands out so badly. Yeah. That was a very whoever thought of that. Elegant solution, Mike Placer. <laughs> yeah, we, we do a lot of community theater, the two of us, and, and uh, especially in musicals, which I have never been in the musical, but uh, have you? Have you ever been in the musical? The first bit of theater I ever did, yeah. I played Sky Masterson in Guys and Dolls. Well, there you go. Well, yeah. And, and uh, later I would play Caiaphas in Jesus Christ Superstar. Good for you. I condemn Jesus to death. <laughs> Hold on. Sure. I don't want to toot my own horn too hard. I was part of a cabal. So Paul, the main character, the guy who doesn't like musicals, is sitting in his office working at his desk. He is played by first-time Star Kid cast member John Madison. Uh, and unlike most Star Kid musical uh, cast members, uh, he was not just picked because he was friends with someone. He was actually auditioned for the part. I haven't been able to find out any information for why they decided that they needed a new guy to play the lead in this show. My guess, though, is everyone who knows the Star Kid, who are fans of Star Kid, who are the only people that they could bank on coming to see the show, were Star Kid fans. Uh, they know that all the actors in their stable are musical theater fans, so it would be so if. If you were to see any of them, like Jeff Blim, for example, if he played the guy who didn't like musicals, you'd be looking at him and being like, haha, that's funny. Jeff Blim loves musicals. Yes, it would ruin the verisimilitude. The verisimilitude. Of this expertly crafted piece of science fiction. Sure. And in the end, spoiler alert, but in the end of the play, he does end up singing. And it's more of a surprise to hear him sing at the end of the play with him being someone who's never been in a Star Kids show before than to, oh yeah, that's a Jeff Blim song. Yeah. Uh, so, there are two other office workers on stage. Bill is played by Corey Doris, who played Big Tallywhacker in Me and My Dick. I was pretty sure it was him, and I looked it up later, and it was him. I was glad to see him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he's playing a far less confident character in this. Yes. He's a divorced dad uh, trying to make the time he has to spend with his daughter special by getting her tickets to Mamma Mia. Because she got tickets to Hamilton. A touring production of Mamma Mia. A touring production of Mamma Mia. She, her mom took her to see Hamilton in New York. So he's like, I can compete with that. I'll take her to see the touring production of Mamma Mia. Yeah. And Paul says, I'm sure she will like that just as much. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And there's also on stage Charlotte, played by Jamie Lynn Betty. Who Who is Sally and me and my dick. Played Sally and me and my dick. Uh, once again, playing a very uh, mousy, a mousy character, but this time um, middle aged, middle aged character. Uh, she's having issues with her marriage. She's married to a cop named Sam, mm-hmm. and Sam never comes home at nights and refuses to touch her, even on their mandated monthly cuddle nights. Yes, mandated by their couples therapist. Yes, yeah. So she's uh, addicted to all sorts of substances. Uh, because at least cigarettes and alcohol at, that we see probably more because yeah. she's uh, just just suppressing so, her depression. Yeah, just suppressing <clears throat> her depression. Paul is immediately shown to be just not a very engaged person. 
he's he's very he he doesn't like to get involved in any of the the work related uh listen this motherfucker's stuff. at work he doesn't need to get involved no he doesn't and i don't like that shit any either and i feel like most people at least, oh, i don't know because every office i've ever been to everyone's except me seems super stoked to be involved in in the in the work uh group activities but uh like people come by he's like we're gonna do a work softball game you want to be involved and he's like no and he doesn't lie about it like I would. Yeah. He's, he's just like he's he just says like, no, I did. He's like, why not? He's like, I don't want to. <laughs> yes. And uh, fucking Paul's a reasonable, assertive person. Sure, he's 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 very assertive about his his opinion. Bill invites him to go see Mamma Mia with his daughter, and he and he's like, no. And he's like, do you have other plans? He said, no. I just wouldn't enjoy that. Going to Mamma Mia would be my hell. Paul is the person most of us would like to be. <laughs> Ironically, because I don't think this musical is on his side. No, it's not. Yeah. The opening number calls him all sorts of nasty names, but he's sure. a reasonable person. He's heroic throughout most of the movie. He's he selfless. Um, yes. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah. But again, that song is being sung by the enemy. It is being sung by the enemy. But uh, yeah, so he's but he he doesn't like to get involved. He. He does lie to someone who's asking for money for Greenpeace later. True. And he lies to a homeless person who's asking for money. Yeah. And he does, and even though he claims to be friends with Bill, he doesn't help him with his daughter, and he also refuses to, he also, when he forgets his coffee order, just says, ah, fuck him, and then walks off. Yeah. I mean, Paul's not the best, but Paul is not, like, fucking... I mean, you just said he's the one we all wish we could be. (laughs) At least in terms of, like, saying no to things. Sure. Okay. Fair enough. But he's not, like, fucking Daniel Plainview. Sure, sure. He's just average schmucky. Like, he's... he's You are are late to pick me up most times, and I stand out in the cold. True. Which, so, we all do shit. That's true. We all do shit. So, his, his only, like real engagement with the world again he he says that he uh he he says that he's friends with bill but he doesn't seem his the friendship doesn't it's it's a work friendship it's not really that important the only thing that he seems to really kind of go out of his way for is his relationship which is apparently is non-existent just she learns his name over the course of the play yeah with this one barista he's very attracted to at this coffee place uh who his slime ball work co-worker ted calls the latte hate yes played uh, by joey richter yes who, uh star of star of me and my dick. star of me and my dick where he played joey richter yes uh uh and he is he is in this play as well he's in almost every star kid show and he's always great jeff blim is also on stage very briefly as the boss of the office who gives a very quick office space reference. Yes. Uh, before moving. Great. If you get those on. reports on my desk, that'd be great. That'd be great. But yeah, so at the coffee shop, we meet said barista, Emma, uh, played by uh, star kid superstar Lauren Lopez. She was not in Me and My Dick, but she is in almost everything else that they do. And she is a fan favorite. Yep, I can see why. Yeah, this is definitely her most normal character she's played. <laughs> she usually plays either men or very queer-coded characters. Gotcha. But uh, she plays, this is her most traditional character, just a very sort of sassy, uh, argumentative character. Think of Stevie from Shit's Creek. 
Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, very much like Stevie from Schitt's Creek. A little bit more of a relatable character than Paul, I think. Yeah. She, she's very pissed at her low-wage job and the shit, the indignities that she has to put up with. She talks back to customers. She talks back to her boss. She talks back to her co-workers. Uh, and uh, they have this new... The main ob- source of her ire is this new thing in their office where if people tip, you have to sing them a song. And uh, she think, thinks quite correctly that this is demeaning. It is. And stupid. It and is. And not something that she should have to do uh, for her low-wage coffee shop job. And she specifically mentions that her boss went to Coldstone Creamery yes. and stole the idea from them. Yeah. Which, if you're applying for a job at Coldstone Creamery, you know what you're getting into. <laughs> It should never be sprung on you that suddenly you have to sing. Right. I like to sing. I sing all the time at work to right. myself. I'm not a good singer. Sure. I would not want to have to sing as part of my job. No, no. Unless you were getting specifically paid. Like, yes. paid singers are paid a lot of money. They are. They are. And, and uh, as she points out, it's a tip jar. Eddie Money's name was Eddie Money. That's how much money he made. <laughs> Is he had to change his name to money. But as she points out, if you're tipping her for a song, it's, it's not, not a really tip. A tip. You're yeah. just, it's just another shitty paying job on top of her already shitty paying job. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so she, Paul lets her rant to him and, and that seems to get her on his side. And she learns his name and he admits to her about how he, he just fucking hates musicals. So, yeah, Paul, on the way home, refuses to give money to a Greenpeace girl, refuses to give money to a homeless Hold man. Hold on, I want to mention something. Okay. Uh, Emma mentions that even though she doesn't like to sing, mm-hmm. even though she's annoyed with her co-worker who's like part of musical theater. Zoe. She mentions that she was in Godspell. Oh, uh, she was in Brigadoon, she says. Oh, 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 no, no. Someone mentions that they were in Godspell. Zoe was in Godspell. Zoe was in Godspell. Yeah. And they mentioned that it was a terrible... Terrible production of Godspell. Every production of Godspell is fucking terrible. <laughs> I think we've I think we've ranted about Godspell before on the show, haven't we? It's possible. I yeah. fucking hate Godspell. I know you do. You, you really hate Godspell. <laughs> if I hadn't been an atheist before I saw Godspell... <laughs> For the first time. That would have done it. That would have been like, <laughs> fuck God and fuck spelling. That's why you're illiterate today. Because you were an yeah. atheist before you saw Godspell. But you could actually read before you got see yeah. Godspell. Yeah, and, and I then... saw Godspell and I was like, I don't like spelling. I don't like reading. <laughs> uh, and I just went to a farm and got kicked in the head by a horse a bunch of times. <laughs> and now, and yeah, now, now that's, I that's fucking, all gone. That's yeah. all gone. Now I just shit myself all the time. <laughs> That's I hate God. Yeah, I can't read, that's, and I shit myself. That's why we record all these podcasts in the bathroom with you just sitting, yeah. pants off on a toilet. Just so, we, well, no, just so I'm we sitting on the, the toilet recording. with my pants on, just oh. shitting myself. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay, yeah. right. Okay, yeah. Well, that's so much of this episode already is going to have to be cut. <laughs> Just for time. <laughs> Just for time. All right, so as we said, Paul uh, refuses to give money to a Greenpeace lady. He refuses to give money to a homeless person. And then he starts doing that thing that uh, a lot of people do, probably us included at some point in our lives, where you try and, like, justify yeah. your shitty take by saying, actually, you're the problem, you know. 
just be like, you're you're being too pushy, and and uh, I the, that money probably doesn't even go to the causes. I haven't done the research on it, but uh, yeah, blah. you know, just just trying to make it seem like you're somehow noble for not doing any of the work. Yes. Um. So while he's while they're having this argument, a storm breaks out in Hatchet Field. We find out later this is somehow the result of the meteor coming in. As the storm is going, uh, we, there's a series of cutaways where we see where various characters are in town, sort of setting up conflict for later. And this is where I first noted that the show could benefit from a few extra cast members. I don't know what specifically made me feel that way, but maybe it was just because, especially... The same um, cast members just jump on stage. And all of these cutaways are just the same like three cast members in different costumes. Yes, it's very quick, yeah. and we've now seen... I forget the actress's name, but she played Sally in Me and My Dick. Uh, uh, Jamie Lynn Boyle. Jamie Lynn Boyle. No. We start, see her as Charlotte. She works at the coffee shop, and now she's another person during this song. Jamie Lynn Betty, sorry. Jamie Lynn Betty. Apologies. Yeah. yeah. I, I mixed her name up with Laura Flynn Boyle. Of course. Right. Never far from our thoughts. Never far from our thoughts. R.I.P. Laura Flynn Boyle. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, we see uh, Charlotte is having an affair with Ted. Yes. Charlotte's husband, Sam, is having an affair with the annoying other barista at Emma's coffee shop, Zoe. Yep. And uh, we find out that Bill did get the tickets to Mamma Mia, but is having problems negotiating, spending time with his daughter, because his daughter wants to also spend time with her girlfriend, Beth. Mm-hmm. And her girlfriend is currently hanging out with Beth and all of Beth's pothead friends. I thought friends. the girlfriend was Deb. Oh, was it Deb? I think it's Deb. Deb is one of the only names that I didn't write down and assumed I would remember. <laughs> which is, you know, the yeah, exactly yeah. when I forget something. Thankfully, she's not a big part of the show. Not a big part of the show. That's why I didn't write her name down. Yeah. Alice and Deb are hanging out with their pothead friends. And uh but they they they're getting ready to go to the musical with her with her lame dad. The next morning, Paul is getting ready to leave his apartment. We hear on the news about the meteor stri- about the meteor strike. Paul turns off the TV. He's not interested in the meteor. No. Uh, we also find out that there's a famous squirrel in town that's doing very yep. well. But Paul comes out onto the streets and he's just sort of wa- on his way to work. And something is different. People are are going around in a very choreographed way. They're dancing. They're, they're singing. Dancing, they're singing. And uh, the Greenpeace lady and the homeless man from the night before are out there. And the two of them start singing this great song called La Di Da Da Day. Yes. Uh, very sort of stereotypical. It's the town song. It's the town song. It's yeah, the, it's the whole town is singing the song. Just singing about having a La Di Da Da Day. Yeah. It, it's just as generic as it sounds. The funniest part of this is it starts out as a normal song, but then when the homeless guy comes in for his verse... His normal day is not like everyone else's. So his verse is about getting high on bath salts and eating a a dead man's face, (laughs) which is, which is disturbs Paul quite a bit. Yes. But not so much, not as much as, uh, just the fact that people are singing and dancing around him. That upsets Paul quite a lot. As it should, as it would be very upsetting for any of us. (laughs) This is our PSA against flash mobs. Yeah, no, just, flash just, mobs are, and that's what out. that's what Paul thinks it might be when he goes when he ends up at work. Ted's like, "Oh, that was a flash mob." He's like, "Oh, it must have been, I guess." Ted is angry that he did not get it on video. Yeah, he's like, "What? The, what's the fucking point of you?" <laughs> uh, 
my favorite bit about this acting is just is the way Paul heads to work. He's just like, okay, okay, <laughs> okay, okay. And he just keeps going like that all the way off stage. We find out that the meteor actually landed in the theater that was playing Mamma Mia the night before. Of course. Destroying the touring cast and everyone inside. <laughs> Bill and his daughter and Beth did not, or sorry, Deb, fuck, uh, did not make it to the show, so they did not survive. Yeah. I mean, they, they, didn't, they did they survive. Didn't, they did survive. They didn't die. And everyone's, like, being their normal selves, talking at work. Charlotte is very disturbed by something. She mm. keeps pouring the sugar into the coffee, into the coffee pot and, and doesn't seem to notice what's going on. And she tells them that her husband, Sam, came home around 6 a.m., and was in the shower and was singing. And it's not like he's ever been a bad singer. He was okay. But today he sounded like an angel. <laughs> and it frightened me. He wasn't he wasn't her Sam. Yeah. And Paul says, What song was he singing? And she says, Something about a la di da da day. Everyone oh. was singing the same song. Paul before they can talk about this anymore, Paul is called into the boss's office. Again, as we said, Jeff Blim is playing the boss, and this is where we get the full brunt of his Jim Carrey acting style. Yes, this, again, this is still in the period where I was not enjoying the film. <laughs> this did not help things. I don't blame you. Uh, it's, it's, I enjoy this scene because I already like Jeff Blim. Yeah. But if you did, were not ready for this, I can see this being something where... Like he's he is going all out. He is he is chewing the scenery, chewing the scenery at Nicholas Cage levels. Nicholas Cage levels. He unhinges his jaw and is yes. like shaking it around, and uh, he is trying to figure out what Paul wants. He's asking for Paul's want, his motivation. As we said, as as we'll find out over the course of the show, and as I said earlier, the alien entity loves stories it loves mo character motivation and it likes to tailor the songs it uses to control people to their own specific wants and needs yes paul doesn't as we've mentioned before is just kind of fine yeah he just doesn't he knows what he likes and what he doesn't like but he doesn't need his friends he doesn't necessarily even need no. emma He's just sort of, it's nice to be around, but he doesn't really have a want or, or a need. He's just fine. You're right. Paul really epitomizes a Buddhist ideal <laughs> of sure. having no desire. Of having absolute desirelessness. And thus not suffering. Right, exactly. He is, he is devoid of, well, he later says that he's actually full of hate, but still, he, 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 yeah, so he's, he's full of desirelessness. So the boss demonstrates what a want might be by explaining to Paul, to his great discomfort, that his want is to be his first wife to choke, choke him, him while he jerks off. Yeah. And so he's, and he then acts out a scene of how uh, one's motivation can, can lead to a dramatic moment by calling his wife to ask for it, but then losing his courage and claiming he can't f remember <laughs> uh, what he was asking her f for, uh, leading the audience to actually go, aww. Yeah. <laughs> I had some problem with the audience reactions during this. I'll bring them up later. The, I did make note of the audience's reactions a couple times because they are interesting yeah. to gauge. Yeah, so... It's so 
this is just very upsetting for a variety of reasons for yeah. Paul. As I think any of us being told our, our boss's kinks would probably yeah, no, be a little bit upset by that. It's not the best. It's not something that you generally want. Paul runs away from his boss. He's, he's freaking out. Oh, I should mention, Jeff Blim is actually a very good singer, but in this musical, and especially in the boss's song, he's having a lot of trouble. Is he? And I don't... Yeah. it's He's just kind of off. And I... I think it's because he tend he generally he's a singer, he has a kind of a lower register, and in the boss's song, for whatever reason, he's going into his alto section yeah. a lot, and it just doesn't work. He Jeff Blim has I think it's a thing with him personally where he just really likes to go for the high notes, yeah, because it's funny. He he's not as good at them as I think he thinks he is. Gotcha. But that's a that's a community theater thing. Is is people thinking that they are very good at things that they are just okay at. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is. Paul runs away from his boss, freaking out. He runs to the coffee shop, because that's his source of zen. Yeah, like, I need to... I'm, I must be in a nightmare. Where do I go to wake up from dreams? I it's go also a thing of, shop. like, everybody singing. Who else hates singing? Emma. That's... Yes. Very, very true. Unfortunately, as he comes into the coffee shop, Emma greets him... By singing. Yes. Which makes him scream no. Turns out she's not actually infected. It's just that the coffee shop now has new singing-only rules, where she has to sing a different song based on any given situation that might yes. come up, including the tip. The tip actually involves a much more complicated song and dance number now. Paul has caught on that something has infected the world around them, and he tries to explain it to Emma, and of course Emma just thinks that he's crazy. Of course. Yeah. So, someone puts a tip in the tip jar, and they have to perform this elaborate song and dance number. And here is where I started to warm up to the production. Sure. Because Emma... Well, one, Emma's one of my favorites. Oh, yeah, she's um, great. And her disinterested look <laughs> as she does this song and dance number is yeah. fantastic. Right, yeah. No, the, the two other baristas, her boss and Zoe... Are fully committing to the to the uh, the choreography. Yes, but Emma is just half-assing all of it, and it's great. She's still hitting all of the right marks, but she is like just not into into it. And it's a lot of eye acting. Yes, which is not good for live theater. <laughs> it's okay in this instance because the theater they're operating out of is very small. It the is audience small. Is very close. It is small. I'll yeah. give you that. Yeah. But still. But if they were on Broadway where you have to speak to the back row. <laughs> Live theater is about arm. Film is about eyes. Right. But her just the disinterested, bored, just, blank look on her eyes as she yeah. is doing enthusiastic dance movements. Yes. Is wonderful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so as as they're singing and dancing, they're, they're serving extra coffee to the patrons. Yeah. That's part of it. And uh, so she's she's dancing and and but they're they're all dancing. But then they start dancing some moves that Emma doesn't know. And she's like, "Wait, you added an entire A section yeah. <laughs> to the choreography?" And uh, they say, well, "Don't worry, we'll we'll teach you the song. Everyone's going to be singing it soon." And then it's revealed the coffee that they've been serving during this song is poisoned with some blue shit. Yes. There's some blue gunk that they l looks like. Something ironically that you would find in the movie Star Kid that the, the, the theater company comes from in in the coffee pot, and it 
it at first looks like it kills everyone, and then everyone gets back up and they start dancing yes. to the song as well, pointing threateningly at Paul and Emma. They both have to run. They escape into the audience. Uh, they they get back down onto the stage, and Emma agrees with Paul that she didn't think through the implications. Yes. <laughs> about how horrifying it would be. Oh my God, I didn't think it through. <laughs> now, Billy. Yes. Uh, after watching this. Yes. I dug into my large collection of Choose Your Own Adventure books. I know you have a lot of them. And I dug out one about an alien invasion. Oh, okay. So I'm going to read through a little bit with you and you get to choose. Oh, I love this. All okay, right. great. Uh, you're in middle school. Mm-hmm. And you and your school chum are on the way to school. Great. And your school chum, Henry, says, Hey, chum. <laughs> right. How about we ditch? How about we play hooky today? Okay. Do you go to school or do you play hooky with Henry? Oh, let's play hooky with Henry. Play hooky with Henry. Why not? Let's live a little. Henry is sort of a troubled child. He's not all there. Oh, okay. uh, there's a lot of lead paint. <laughs> Henry's a little bit worse off than I thought. Yeah, no, Hen- you're very kind okay. to be friends with Henry. Okay. So Henry leads you down to the old abandoned quarry. Okay. And in there is a flying saucer. Oh, my God. Uh, and Henry wants to chuck rocks at it. Oh, my God. <laughs> Do you chuck rocks at the flying saucer? Do you go up and knock on the door? There seems to be a door etched okay. in the side. Or do you go to school? <laughs> I love how that's still an option. Just turn around and yeah. turn around on the extraordinary thing we saw and go back to school. Uh, um, as, as any as deaf movie viewer knows, yeah. you don't throw rocks at ufos you throw cheese yeah but since we don't that's not an option i think it would be probably more friendly to go and knock on the door you knock on the door of the saucer Mm -hmm. it uh descends it there's pneumatic sounds okay that just like that that's the noise it makes when it opens and out steps a large a a tall thin gray being Mm -hmm. and he says what the fuck do you want (laughs) Okay. And now you have some dialogue options. Oh, really? Do you say, I come in peace? Okay. Do you say, I have your large cheese pizza? (laughs) Or do you say, I need to get back to school because education is important? I mean, if I can get a ride on a flying saucer, that sounds pretty pretty sweet. So I'll say, I need to go to school because education is important. Okay. And we'll leave it there. Okay. We'll leave it there. All right. You just have to remember where we live. Okay, 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 I'll try. Uh, so, where were we in the show? Okay, so everyone in the coffee shop singing zombies, they escape. They run into Bill, Charlotte, and Ted. As they're sitting there, we find out Charlotte called her husband Sam, which as we know is a cop, uh, to help come and protect them from whatever was going down downtown. But of course, downtown is where the cops are. Exactly. So the cops are already infected. The cops show up, and they start singing a song, which well, isn't... Totally related to the plot as much as it's more just a parody of cops in general. Yes. And no, what, sh- it, this and what shitty attitudes they have. My favorite song in the show. Really? That is yes. surprising to me. At one point, very early in the song, uh, one of them gets a call that there's a cat stuck in a tree. <laughs> Say, that's a job for the fire department. Yeah. And then he says, her cat's dead. And that was the first time I laughed out loud. My favorite line in the song, one that I, I quote to this day, 
is uh, throughout the song, as I've, I've, I referenced this before, they're giving conflicting orders through a megaphone. Yeah. like, get out of the vehicle. Get back into the vehicle. And then at one point they say, we are cops and we make sense. And I, <laughs> I, I quote that almost every day. Unfortunately, with the year 2020 has been almost every day. Yeah. Uh, to, to myself. But, and again, here's where I really started to perk up about this movie. Yeah. The, uh, there's three cops in this number Mm -hmm. and this performance is so fucking tight. Oh yeah. It's insane. Mm -hmm. And these are all the bit players in this show. Yeah. They are on an incredible plane where, you know, they just rehearsed and rehearsed and fucking rehearsed because they are so on. It is so goddamn tight. This was that, not a 24-hour challenge like me and my dick was. No. This was just watching these performers, even mm. outside of the song, which I enjoyed, yep. was just like, holy shit, this took work. Right, yeah. No, it's I absolutely agree. It was, it was pretty hella awesome. Yes. Uh, so the, the cops are pushing them around. They're, they're, they're beating people up. The one who is Sam is going after Charlotte specifically. Mm-hmm. And Ted in one of the only kind of heroic moments he gets in the show, takes a garbage can lid that he's been using as a, as a Captain America shield and hits Sam in the head. Yeah. Literally knocking, knocking his, his brain block off. Knocking his brain out. Yeah, knocking his block off. This causes the other cops to run, a, run away. Yes. Somehow. And Charlotte just loses it. They, she picks up the brain, yeah. and it's covered in blue shit. Yes. Uh, the same blue shit that was in the coffee. There's uh, some very st- funny stuff with the brain. Yes. And she, and she says, uh, we, we need to take him to a doctor. We need to take him to a hospital. But the hospitals are downtown, which is, again, where all the singing zombies are coming from. Mm-hmm. But Emma says that she knows a reclusive professor, Professor Higgins, who's a doomsday survivalist. But uh, Emma is able to convince Charlotte to, to, to take... Uh, her husband, her husband's apparently lifeless body with a brain missing, to Professor Higgins. Uh, Professor Higgins is a white-haired gentleman that we briefly saw earlier during the storm scene. He has a very Carl Sagan vibe. Oh yeah, he's he's definitely made to look like Carl Sagan. The voice is more of like a Doc Brown kind of impersonation. Uh, he's played by a longtime star kid bit player named Robert Mannion. Robert Mannion is actually from Australia, which I did not know until doing research for this show, because he's never once used his accent in any of these productions. He is now, based on this show, one of my favorite of the Starkid cast members, and he's definitely my favorite part of this show. He was actually just a Starkid fan who contributed to some Starkid contests in the past, and the people involved in Starkid, especially Matt and Nick Lang, noticed that he was absurdly talented and finally just invited him to be part of their shows. But he's he's absolutely fantastic, and this is his first lead role he ever got to have in a Starkid show, even though he's been stealing scenes as bit parts for years. It is a supporting role. Okay. He is not a lead. He is fucking fantastic. Yeah. In my notes, I said that Emma is great. So it was Professor. Mm-hmm. I hope the rest is mostly these two. It was not. <laughs> yeah. 
This should have been called Emma and the Professor and sometimes the Black Gentleman. <laughs> Were those three your favorite characters? Yes. Uh, I, at, at least at that point in time. At that point in time. Uh, and Emma and the Professor definitely were... No, they're still my three favorite characters. Oh, really? Bill okay. has some very funny lines. Sure. Yeah, he, he does. Uh, there was another character I was I was expecting to be one of your favorites that comes in later. Okay. But uh, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Um, so... Uh, again, we hear on the news the the professor. We cut to the professor's house. The professor is watching TV, listening to the news. The news tells us that the bridges have been raised in Hatchetfield, the town that they live in. Funny, it's a horror. It's called Hatchetfield. Haha. Ha. Uh, Hatchetfield is now cut off from the world, uh, and uh, we also establish that Professor Higgins' only friend is his Alexa. Yes, who he uh, talks to constantly, even when he doesn't have anything to order it to do. And also, Professor Higgins mm-hmm. predicted that this would happen. Yes, he predicted this exact exactly scenario. thing would happen 30 years prior. And <laughs> Paul says, really? He's like, yes, this exact thing. This exact thing. <laughs> like, uh, so, yeah, so the professor lets them in and reveals he knew, knew this would happen before. They cuff Sam to, the, to a chair so the professor can study him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the professor theorizes that the blue shit, which uh, I've been just calling the blue shit because... That's, that's what, what Emma the, calls it. I, I've been calling it to that because that's what I call it, but then I, I forgot that it was actually a joke in the show yeah. that he's like, what would you call this, Emma? She says, some kind of blue, blue shit. shit? <laughs> that's just right, Emma. What the fuck is this bullshit? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're both fucking fantastic. Their double act is stress it enough. Yeah. Uh, so, but he says the blue shit is a deadly pathogen of cosmic origin. It comes from space. Uh, so, the, and uh, they and uh, they, Bill asks, "Do you have any alcohol to take the edge off of this stressful situation?" He says, "I have been doomsday prepping." All the things that mankind would need to survive. Of course, I have booze. Yeah, and they go off to to, to drink to drink alcohol, leaving Charlotte and Ted to get into a fight that starts to get hot and heavy. Mm-hmm. But Charlotte refuses because Sam, her husband, is is uh, in trouble, and she needs to make things work. That is her want. Yes, uh, she needs to make things work with Sam, which inspires, it seems, the creature living in Sam's body. As we find out later, nobody, once they're infected, is them anymore. No, they're part of a hive mind. They're part of a hive mind. They are a creature using their body as a puppet. So hearing her make that I want statement to both Ted and in a prayer to God, Sam's body reactivates and starts singing a song, You Tied Up My Heart, about trying to get her to let him go and promising that they they can work things out. And, and this song was fine. It mm-hmm. had sort of a meatloaf quality to it. Yes, it did. And yeah. um, which which is very much helped by Jeff Blim's overacting. Yes. Yeah. No, he did great at feeding into the meatloaf thing. Yeah. And the long hair on a man sort of played into that too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Would have been even better if because he's a he's a monster at this point that yeah. he had like the makeup from the the. Uh, I would do anything for love music video if you yeah. had like the full beast to make up from that show. But yeah, uh, Charlotte uh, as, uh, against her better judgment finally gives in when he starts pretending to die. I love that this is one of my favorite audience reactions. The whole audience goes, oh no, because the whole audience <laughs> knows that he's faking. Yeah. But she uncuffs him from the chair and he, he gets up 
and 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 embraces Charlotte, and he says, "Now I'm going to untie your heart." And she says, "Oh yes, Sam, do it." And he rips her intestines out of her chest. Yes. And yeah. now here's where apparently we disagree. Okay. Because I thought this was a decent effect for a stage show. It's all right. It's how are you going to do better on a stage show? Very, very true. Very uh, true. Plus, with their limited budget. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I thought it was a great job. Mm-hmm. If I was in the audience and I saw that, that would be fucking fantastic. Sure. Uh, I think that it definitely, it's definitely one of the better gore effects in the show. There are some ones later that are much less good. Yes. Uh, but uh, I, and the, the brain hanging out of his head is always bad. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, no, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the campiness of it. It is very I campy, enjoyed yeah. the, uh, I thought it was. It because doesn't detract from the show. It's a fucking stage show. Yeah. You, they, it is filmed for the masses. The entire set is folding chairs. Like, you yeah. have to, you have to let things go. It, it is filmed for the greater audience. Yeah. But they still have to do something for their audience that's present. Yeah. Like, and they make it work. They absolutely do. And I, I, I like it in that it, once we learn that, like in The Thing, the organism that is taking everybody over replaces everything in your body, which yes. is why you no longer are red when they cut you open, you're blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, his brain is blue. In the following scene, after Charlotte has become infected, her guts are hanging out, but her guts are all blue now. Once it becomes blue, the effect, you start to be able to see the rubberness of the effects. Well, yeah. A little bit more easily. No, it's all fucking fake looking. Like, yeah. it doesn't look right. good on film. Mm-hmm. But for a stage show, this is as good as you're going to get. I, I agree. Yeah, yeah. So, in the next room, Bill and Ted are getting into an argument. Bill is still thinking very much like a dad. He's like, maybe maybe I should be the designated yeah. driver. Uh, and Ted is just being an asshole to everybody. In the meantime, Paul and Emma are bonding. Emma wishes she had stayed in Guatemala, where she had been before moving back to Hatchetfield. She was born and raised in Hatchetfield, and then she moved over to Europe and started backpacking around. Uh, her sister Jane was always the uh, the one that the parents were impressed with, but then after Jane died and she had missed out on so much time with her sister, she moved back to try and make things work at home and to live out Jane's lifelong dream of owning a pop pot farm yes which is is frustrating for her because she hates hatchet field and always swore she would never die there jane is uh actually a recurring character in this franchise there's a sequel to the show called black friday called black friday in which we jane is still dead but we meet jane's husband uh, uh widower husband and her left behind uh, daughter, I believe. So, but yeah, the tragedy of Jane's death is is something that echoes throughout this gotcha. franchise. So Paul says he doesn't mind Hatchetfield; he's fine there. He he still likes it, even though it's overrun with musical zombies. Yes, he just uh, he still he he just really really hates musicals. That's that's basically his yeah. Only no, thing. that's that's why this is a nightmare for him. Yeah, and uh, then suddenly. We have an explosive fucking entrance. Yes. By Jamie Lynn, by the newly infected Jamie Lynn Betty Charlotte coming in for the musical number Join Us and Die. And this was fantastic. Oh this my was God. Absolutely great. She says, uh, It's time to die. And like, just fucking belts. 
it's it's fantastic. Going and from it, me and my dick to this is oh yeah, this oh was my god, an incredible. Grew, oh my god, they grew up. Yeah, um, <laughs> and this number climaxes yeah. with the professor coming in with a shotgun yeah. and blowing away Sam and Charlotte. Yes, and she and I fucking died. I fucking. <laughs> Die because he's smoking a cigarette while he's yep, doing it. Yep. <laughs> and here's where I noted, I would be fat because this song is is great. Yeah, it's a great musical number. It's very funny, and it's it's a little bit effective as a horror element as it well. Is. Yeah, because she's she she's uh, Charlotte. Jamie Lynn Betty, as as we've noted before, is very good at voices. Yes. And the voice that she uses for Charlotte has been this sort of very traditional sort of like, oh, I don't know what to do anymore, like yeah. that sort of thing. But once she becomes a zombie, she starts going into her much higher register. And she's, join us and die. I can't do it the way that she does it. No. Because she's so good. But it's, but it's, it's also great. Uh, this is an ensemble number. She's with yes. Sam. She's with... It's a uh, rock number. Um. And the choreography, and again, the the energy and the cohesiveness between the mm-hmm. supporting players is fucking incredible. Yeah. But here's where I wondered, mm-hmm. because again, the emphasis is on the comedy. Yes. I'd be fascinated to see this with an emphasis more on the horror. Could be, and especially with the advantage of editing a stage show. Yes. This could be incredibly effective as a straight horror number. Sure. Maybe not scary, maybe not chill you to your bone, but it could right. be like it the could cool. work on a level more than like yeah, it's kind of scary, but mostly it's funny. Right. Horror doesn't always necessarily have to be scary. No. It just has to be horror. No, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I agree that this is No, I I'm, a I'm, horror I'm expanding number. on your point. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, I I I agree with you. It's it's I think that with this show, they wanted to try something different. They wanted to go in a horror direction. And they felt like because their brand is very much based around this sort of uh, irreverent humor. Yeah. And this sort of like over the top uh, sort of half half joking, half winking at the audience acting. That they had to make it mostly that. And then add the horror elements in slightly well, uh, yeah. on the side. Now, when they do, when they did get around to doing the sequel, Black Friday, they kind of split the fandom down the middle because they removed a lot of the comedy and they tried to push it way more into the horror. Interesting. So part of the reason I had us do this episode is because I wanted you to have seen this before you saw Black Friday, but Black Friday is infinitely more bizarre. And infinitely and much more focused on being a straight horror musical than this is. Fascinating. But I we needed to listen to this first. Obviously. But uh, it's it's so we're definitely going to cover that at some point. So I'm I'm not sure that Black Friday works. I'll just be honest with you right up front. But it is a fascinating experiment in musical horror. Fascinating is the watchword of this show. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the headline is Weird, yeah, but the watchword is fascinating. Re- weird, read, fascinating. Yes. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah. So th- absolutely fantastic. This is actually my second favorite song in the show. I think. Yeah. 
uh, my favorite is still still to come. There's there's a little reference to the '70s uh, version of the Body Snatchers, the the ending, the famous ending where, where uh, Donald Sutherland points, points and, screams. and screams right before she gets shot. Jamie Lynn Betty points at the press and goes ah! <laughs> and, and gets killed. They made the same reference again in that community episode. Yes. That I mentioned. Uh, the professor has discovered again that the aliens are actively replacing everything about us. They're 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 replacing us all the way inside. the The professor said that the aliens just actively replace everything inside your body. The skin is the outside appearance is simply a suit, like yes. Edgar from Men in Black. Sugar water. Sugar water. So, in, in another reference to the thing. The professor says any of us could be could be this be one of these things. Yes. And we need to have a test <laughs> yes. to figure out uh what if any of us are it. Sing the opening to Moana right now. <laughs> and they all try and they suck and Which if anyone asked me to do that, I do not know the opening words to Moana. Right. Well you'll notice that some of them sing the opening to Moana, but one of them starts singing mm-hmm. the Lion King. <laughs> Bill does. Bill starts singing the like. Another reason why I love Bill. <laughs> yeah, ironically, Paul, the one who doesn't like musicals and you would think wouldn't have seen Moana, is the one singing the loudest. But then he says he didn't like that movie. Yeah, he didn't like it, but he knows the song. Make way, make way, consider the coconut. Uh, uh, do you want to crack back into the book? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, All right. So, so uh, we're heading back to school in yep. The Flying Saucer. You, uh, you... Told the alien you need to get back to school. Yes. The alien the alien uh, takes a big puff of his space blunt. <laughs> and he says, school is for morons. <laughs> if you want to go to school, I'll kill you. Do you say, do you grab his space blunt and take a big puff? Do you say, I will die for my right to go to school? <laughs> Or you say, I'm sorry, you're right, school sucks, but I don't like drugs. Uh, I think... <laughs> I think I definitely have to try that space blunt. Like, okay. I, I don't think I can... I What other opportunity am I going to have to try space weed? So you grab the space blunt. Yeah. The alien seems very put off that you just <laughs> grabbed his drugs. Right. You take a big hit of it, and immediately your vision... Uh, explodes into kaleidoscopic mosaics of, frankly, uh, soul-rending fractals. <laughs> Just uh, visions beyond visions of comprehension that right. you could possibly ever hope to contain with inside your feeble human brain. Um, do you try to pull yourself together? Mm-hmm. Do you succumb to the infinite mosaic of the beyond wow or do you really hope to get to school i think i just need to 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 let this ride out so i think i'm okay. probably going to succumb to the mosaic of the cosmos or whatever the okay. hell you said uh after what feels like 30 hours oh wow of just traveling through the uh basically the stargate in 2001 <laughs> You eventually encounter an old man on an island of time. Wow. <laughs> Adrift in, again, the infinite mosaic of the cosmos. Right. Uh, and the old man says, what are you doing here? Oh, God. Do you say, I'm trying to get to school? <laughs> Do you say, help, I'm lost in the infinite mosaic of the cosmos? <laughs> 
or do you say, where that space weed, bitch? <laughs> I say, where that space weed, bitch? <laughs> the old man pulls out a badge. Oh. He's a time cop. Holy shit. <laughs> and he doesn't truck is with he, any space hippies. Is he Jean-Claude Van Damme? <laughs> he is Jean-Claude Van Darn. Oh, no. That's how strict he is. <laughs> oh, man. And he says, you're coming with me. Oh, no. And he handcuffs you. And he puts you in the back of his time camel. <laughs> in the back of the time camel? Yes, you're in the hump. Okay. <laughs> uh, the time camel is three miles wide. Right. And 60 miles long. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, it is made out of pure light. <laughs> And can seamlessly blend through the different layers of reality. Uh, anybody who's listening to this, if anybody is ever listening to this, can we have some fan art of this camel? <laughs> <laughs> and it is camel shaped. Right, right. Actually, it's not camel shaped. Oh. It's called a time camel. Right. But it is shaped like the elephant in Moulin Rouge. <laughs> All right, okay. And it is piloted by Jean Leguizamo <laughs> as a... Uh, Lautrec, uh, uh, Toulouse Lautrec. Toulouse Lautrec. Okay. But, uh, Jean-Claude Van Darn, mm -hmm. uh, is with you in your holding cell. Right. And he says, do you have anything to confess? And do you repent your sins? Uh-huh. Do you say nothing? Or do you once again ask to get to school? I ask you to, to get to school. School is for people who don't break the law, says Jean-Claude Van Darn. <laughs> and he chops off your hands. Oh, my God. Um, and that's where we'll stop for now. Wow. Wow. Okay. Holy shit. I got mutilated in this book. Uh. This seems more intense, even though this one isn't written by Hitler. <laughs> who is this one written by? It's written by Jesus Christ. Jesus <laughs> Um, could be a pen name. It could be a pen. I'm assuming it's a pen this name. This could be, you know what? Jesus Christ. You know how Garth Brooks was Chris Gaines for a while? Sure. Maybe Garth Brooks is Jesus Christ. <laughs> the choose-your-own-adventure author. The choose-your-own-adventure author. Not the savior. Right. Yeah, no, I get it. Uh, so, he's the professor is appeased that they are not these zombie things. Mm -hmm. Bill then gets a call on his phone that reveals that his daughter, Alice, Alice did not in fact get on the train back to their neighboring town. What was the neighboring town? Clydesdale. Clydesdale. Yeah. Clydesdale didn't get on the train to the, to the town Clydesdale back to, back to her mom. Instead, she stayed in town to hang out with her girlfriend, Deb. And now things are going to shit, and she's freaking out. Yes. Deb is apparently infected, we find out on the phone call. And she's calling Bill to come pick her up. She's hid out in the high school. High school. And uh, Bill decides he needs to go save her. Ted says it's hopeless. There are no good guys or bad guys anymore. He says they're just the living and the dead, and she is dead. Yes. But Paul thinks there's a slim chance that they might actually be able to rescue her. And he, in probably the most noble thing he's done so far, uh, agrees to uh, j j come with Bill and help navigate and figure out a way to, to get her his daughter back. That's right, Counselor. Mm -hmm. While you said that Paul was not a true friend of Bill, 
Paul lays his, lays his life on the line to save Bill's estranged daughter. He does now, yes. Things are, have started, now that the stakes have changed, the friendship with Bill has become much more important to him. But the important thing is that the seed of this nobility was always within Paul. That is true. That is definitely true. And uh, Paul declares to uh, Emma, as we close out the first act, that he will never be in a fucking musical. Yes. Ha 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 ha! Because he is. Right, yeah, of course. But yes, uh, Paul and Bill make it to the school. Bill realizes, uh, as he's, he's, he's chattering away, he realizes that he got into a fight with Alice right before they left. So his daughter, so he thinks that maybe that was why his daughter stayed in town. Yeah. Because of the fight. Because it was, it, he, she thought that he didn't like Deb, which he doesn't, but like, he can't say that to her, but... Now she's got that bugger in her ear. She would have gone off, run off to Deb because nobody understands her. Yada yada yada. His daughter then shows up. She is now infected, uh, and she sings a song playing on his want. This time, mm. tragically, saying not that they could reconnect, but instead that it is too late for them to reconnect, yes. and that he has completely failed her. And and she wanted to connect. She wanted to connect that he was her favorite, but he never stood up for himself and never stood up for her. Now, this song is... There are two interpretations you could go with. One, that all the things that she's saying are true. Yes. Or two, that some of what she's saying is true, or at least based on fact, because it definitely affects Bill. Mm -hmm. But it could just be the alien playing into the story that it wants to tell, because it knows about the effect it will have on Bill. Yes. Uh, I tend to go more towards that second interpretation because I think it's more interesting that way. I I guess I see it as the second as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I see it as mostly true. I think there are definitely a lot of truth to yes. it. But in every good lie has a germ of truth in it. Uh, I love this song. I love this song. And I love this performer. Yeah. I did not write down her name, unfortunately, because she doesn't really have any significant lead roles but she's no, the same person and who she's another Zoe. newcomer she is a newcomer yes uh, to, to, to star kid but she has a very cat dennings quality about her oh yeah she looks almost scarily like cat dennings yeah but the climax to this song was a genuine oh shit moment this entire song is kind of an oh shit moment like it's this is one of the only times in the show where they just drop the jokes completely there are yes. no jokes it's not funny anymore this is just fucked up and upsetting. Like, you feel for Bill. Bill's The actor playing Bill is so good. He like, is. And she's so good doing the song. It, you genuinely feel really bad for him. But here's another... Here's one of my big sticking points where maybe they could have had a bigger cast. Sure. Star Kid seems to follow the Star Wars rule where you can only have one black person. That is a problem with Star Kid, Yes. They, and he's the only... No, I think there may have been another black person in one of their plays, but in general, he's the only black person in their cast. And the performer playing Alice is a very white woman. Yes, she is. Is it a terrible thing? No. No. It's not... Uh, I. It doesn't bother me, but at the same time, it's like... If you're getting you a newcomer anyway... You couldn't have found actress of color portray this? Sure. Again, not a huge thing. But or at least pullably witched and do blackface. Exactly. Right. I think that... <laughs> as much as I love this performer... Right. Get Billy Crystal in there. He shows up with his own shoe polish. 
It's in his contract. Yeah, no. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's in his contract that he shows up with it himself. Yeah, absolutely. If if they, Billy Crystal does not show up with his own shoe polish. The studios don't mind him doing the blackface. They just don't want to pay for the boot black. Exactly. If yeah. Billy Crystal doesn't show up with his own blackface, you get 50% of his salary back. <laughs> That's how dedicated this man is to pretending to be a black person. And people who only know Billy Crystal from Monsters, Inc. are really confused right now. Well, <laughs> he did green face in that. He did, Yeah, he did green face in that. Took took an actor away from a, a hard-working green person. But the uh, climax to Alice's song... Yes. ...involves Bill getting fucking killed. Bill trying to kill himself first. True. Which is equally fucked up. And then... Paul pulls the gun away from him and says, you are my friend. I'm not going to let you get killed. Yes. And then he is abruptly shot in the fucking face by his own daughter with the shotgun he was about to shoot himself in the fucking face with. And that's why I didn't bring up the suicide is because I knew that wasn't going to happen. As gnarly as that would have been. Yeah. And as much as I would have liked to see a stage production pull that off. But my note was, oh shit, Bill got murked. Because... (laughs) Like I said, I knew he wasn't going to kill himself. Okay. Uh, but I was generally surprised when he got killed. Right, yeah. He, he seemed like a character that would go all the way to you? I just was not expecting it in that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it just, it seemed like... It's very sudden. It seems like we're at the low point of the suicide attempt. Paul saves him. We're going to get out. Maybe he gets eaten or whatever the fuck later. But it turns but, out to be meaningless. Yeah, yeah. I, I did not see... I Even... If in retrospect it makes sense, like, oh yeah, Bill would die here. Mm-hmm. We need to start thinning the cast. Right. Um, I did not see it coming at the time. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely one of the most, if not the most heartbreaking death in the show. Yes. Uh, it's it's definitely the most heartbreaking scene in the show. And then the schoolgirls turn on Paul. Yep, they start talking in unison. And it seems like this is the end, but another laugh out loud moment for me. <laughs> the army comes in. We're the army! Blam, blam, blam! We're the army! Blam, 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 blam! Oh, let me check over here! Oh, there's no one there! Oh! It's like, oh, no, no, I'm not infected! <laughs> Shut up, man. We're perfect, man. We're the army. <laughs> and here's where the comedy aspect really shines, where obviously there are limitations of what you can do on a stage show. Yes. And here where you're hanging the lantern on, like, well, we can't come in and start shooting. Like, there's no way to effectively <laughs> effectively yeah. do that. We can have a prop gun and the blam, blam sound effect, yeah. but it's not going to look good. It'll be much funnier if we go, blam, blam, blam. <laughs> and it's Joey Richter running around going, blam, 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 we're the army. Like, making a little kid voice. <laughs> and then they knock out Paul and says, we're the army, deal with it. <laughs> deal with it, man, we're the army. Uh, it's, it's so... It's so priceless. It's it's fucking <laughs> hilarious. But but in, just before that, when when the alien is talking to Paul, it is revealed at this point the alien has now become obsessed with Paul. Yes. They say that they've gone through the cosmos, they've count, conquered thousands of worlds, they've never encountered someone as hard to assimilate as Paul. And again, the it's drawn back to... He's not open about his feelings. He's not open about his wants. He doesn't have any surface-level desires that are easily pinned down. I see it as Paul is not a joiner. (laughs) That too, yeah. Paul doesn't do shit just because that's what's expected. Sure. He says he doesn't want to do things. And he doesn't want to be part of the alien hive mind. Right. He's not going to just succumb. 
Uh, so, but yes, the military take Paul into custody. Cut back to Professor Higgins' house. He explains to Emma that all the aliens are the same creature, as we mentioned. They're a hive mind. And, uh, and at and this point, Emma and Ted are tied up. Not yet. Okay, no. I'm sorry. No, uh, the the uh, the professor has started to go around the bend at this point. He's He seems to think... He seems to start talking about this as if it would be almost a good thing. Yes. That this might result in world peace when all the humans are dead. Which is, you know, kind of... It's not the best. Not the best way to achieve world peace. No. And Emma's like, okay, so how do we... He's like, this might achieve world peace. And Emma says, so how do we stop it? And he says, yes, stop it. <laughs> and then he, he drugs her and we cut back to Paul waking up with the military. Where he is greeted by a character I'm surprised is not on your list of favorite characters, uh, General John McNamara. I mean, I enjoyed General John Mac- McNamara. Yeah. But he's not a pretty dark-haired lady. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. And he's also not as funny as the professor. <laughs> okay, fair enough. And as much as I love the performer Jeff Blint. Jeff Blim. Jeff Blim. Mm-hmm. Um he was funnier as the cop. The cop was kind of the peak for me with that okay. number. Yeah. He's still funny as McNamara, and he has one of the best lines. Oh, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, he's good. Yeah, this is Jeff Blim's favorite character he's ever played, according to him. Okay. Uh, and he, he does come back in the sequel uh, because he was just such a popular character <laughs> in this. And uh, he is definitely one of my favorite parts of the show uh, just because... He he he's a leader of a of a of a Men in Black or Blue Rose esque uh, group called Peep. Yep. Uh, P e i p. P e i p. We call it Peep. Don't tell anyone about us. Not a no. Peep. <laughs> uh, the way the character is written to talk feels so Twin Peaks to me. Especially feels like either Gordon or Albert. Yeah. Especially Albert. It's that mixed with George C. Scott as Patton. Okay, I, I I I will take your word for that. I haven't seen that movie. I will take my word for that as well because I also haven't seen that movie. Oh, have you not? Okay, it just feels very George C. Scott, like I guess yes. more in Doctor Strange Love. Sure, yeah, he's 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 very sort of uh, very intense, and he has that voice. Yes, but uh, yeah, so I can see that. I, I hadn't thought of it as a George C. Scott impersonation, but I, I could definitely see that. But he says that he has been sent in to kill everyone in the city. Or, or to, to, to make sure that there, there are no witnesses to this alien incursion on Earth. Mm. Uh, and he, But he says that because of his experience with aliens, he's decided that he, that there's a... He's had so many weird experiences yeah. that he's going to cut Paul a break. He's going to cut Paul a break. He, he feels that he's, it's important that we love each... That there's a brotherhood of love yes. and everything. That's the Albert part that I was talking about. Albert is a character from Twin Peaks, if you don't know. He has this line, I think is probably the line you were talking about, where he says, where he gets mad at Paul for checking his time on his phone. He smashes the iPhone says, wear a watch. Time is a precious thread in the fabric of the universe. It deserves its own tool of measurement. I did love that. Yeah. The line I was specifically referring to was at the end of the conversation. Yes. When he asked Paul, do you like coffee? <laughs> yes. And he said, Paul says yes. And he's like, yeah. do you like musicals? No. No. Sounds like a red-blooded American to me. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> By the way, another Twin Peaks reference I forgot to mention earlier. He drinks the Paul in the opening when he's in the coffee shop. Drinks the coffee and thumbs up. Damn, damn fine, fine cup coffee. of coffee. 
so yeah, so he, so he he tells he tells Paul he's going to cut him a break. He's going to say there's a chopper leaving at a certain time. Yeah, if you he has get, two hours, you have two hours to get to that chopper. If you can get to the chopper, uh, we will have a seat waiting for you. You can get out with us. And he says, what about Emma? And he says, I don't know Emma. Who's Emma? He says, Emma is this, this uh, woman that I'm friends with. And he says, friend's not going to cut it for yeah. me. Is there a chance of more? <laughs> he says, no, I I, I, I want, I, I love her. I want there to be more. He has made an I want statement yes. at last. And so, he's, and so he says... Uh, okay, if 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 there's some something there, you have you are authorized to use my firearm. He gives him the gun, yep. sends him on his way uh, to rescue Emma. Cut back to the professor's house, and now Emma and Ted yes are tied up back to back on they're, a sofa. Yes, yep. um, they're tied up, mm-hmm. and the professor enters. Professor enters. And he uh, announced he, he he tells Alexa to open the gates and shut down his grids, all of his defenses to his doomsday bunker. And he said, <laughs> and he, he he makes his his spiel about how this is uh, humanity's eleventh hour. Humanity's had their chance to to work with this planet, but they've fucked it up. So it's time for us all to be replaced with singing blue gooey shitty versions of ourselves. Yes, and. Uh, Emma and, and Ted, Ted is just a blubbering mess at this point. Emma's like, this is crazy, this is bullshit. And uh, the professor says, another reason why he thinks that this is a great idea to have the aliens... Oh, but yet then he says, my first love before I became a professor was musical, musical theater. theater. <laughs> and I don't know if it was the previous scene or this scene, but at yeah. some point I have the note, God damn, I love the professor. <laughs> I'm guessing it's probably this scene. Because well, we'll talk about it in a second. Okay. The professor sits down to sing a song at first, just a song that he wrote for the end of the world, a show-stopping number. And one thing, two things mm-hmm. about this song. Yes. There's a line in it, uh, Spotlight on Mr. Ingenue. Yes. Which is the funniest fucking line. The professor, throughout this bit, Mm-hmm. is mincing around oh my god in the most fantastic fashion oh my god um and ingenue refers to a young woman yes uh, so the phrase mr ingenue is very funny it's very funny um but yeah and so he's he's dancing around and then he's and then he says actually on top of this song well here's the, here's the other thing yes is up until this turn you're about to get to yes i did not like this song Okay. I thought it was sort of slow, sort of draggy. He's talking about this being the show-stopping number. Yeah. I'm like, this isn't a showstopper. This isn't... It's it's not a showstopper as we understand it nowadays. It's more of a sort of a classical Broadway gotcha. tune. But uh, then a turn occurs... A turn occurs. ...that uh, did me a 180 on this <laughs> bit. So he says, I've also been uh, working on a musical of my own for many years. Called Workin' Boys. Called Workin' Boys. And he says, <laughs> Brad, Brad is dying already. And he says, uh, you mind if I give you the pitch? Emma says, we don't have time. Ted says, fucking go for it. And suddenly, uh, suddenly the actor transforms himself, like physically and vocally 
into a cast member from Rent. Yes. <laughs> and he just, working the- hard, and I'm up to my ass in shit. And the choreography suddenly becomes different. The electric guitar breaks in. And this performer is giving it 100 fu- Like, he, he, he has been before. Yes. But it's been very reserved. He's fucking dancing like a motherfucker. He is delivering some incredibly energetic choreography. He's leaping. He's dancing. He's, oh... My the, God! The <laughs> backdrop for this set is a very flimsy, like um, plywood and cray paper. Yes, affair. If it were solid, I fully expected him to do a running, a leap fucking and flip. Yes, like yeah. in singing in the rain. Right. I was like, I was waiting for it, but at the same time, I was like, that thing cannot withstand that. <laughs> He but I fully believe that actor it. could have done that. He absolutely would have done it. No, he's he he looks like he can fly. This whole bit, the only way I can describe it, this is my favorite song in the show, is a distillation of the homoeroticism that was inherent in the cinema of the eighties. <laughs> I can see that. I can see that a lot because it's all about this man. Uh, all of his friends have like big highfalutin jobs. Yeah, including they, himself. They no longer connect. Right. But they miss the old days when they used to throw the pig, throw the old pig skin, and he misses his 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 buddies. Uh, and he rattles off a long list of Mark names. Mark and and, and um, Stu and Chad. And but then eventually <laughs> he reconnects with all the boys and Ted yes. is so fucking involved in the show at this point. <laughs> Ted is Emma hates this, but Ted is so invested. Yes, Ted it's is so it's fucking the, hilarious. At the end he 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 lists off all the friends he misses and then he gets a phone call and he's talking to his friends like I'm s- so wrapped up in business and he finally but finally he's like wait they'll all be there and he starts listing them off again and he's like and 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 chad and when he says that ted says it with him he's yes. like and chad <laughs> it's fucking gonna wonderful and then all together again breaks from that and he goes back into the original song back into the original song and paul bursts in wait wait and then, as he's 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 finishing up the song, he finishes up the the, the original song, and then, uh, uh, two of his college friends that are in the musical. Yes. So apparently, either this is based on the professor's real life, or much like the robot people in At World's End, uh, the uh, the aliens can construct new people to fit fantasies that you have. You know, in that world's end, there's a similar body snatching plot, but they can change things about you if you don't like something about yourself, like making you younger or hotter or something like that. I'm going to assume Mm -hmm. uh, that they didn't give it a lot of thought. Probably not. But these college buddies come in, and we have a reprise of Working Boys. Yes. And with all three of them doing the, uh, the choreography, Yes, none of them hitting harder. Than the main guy. Yes, though, no, he's fucking fantastic. Robert is, is is so fantastic in this in this role, and they 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 all go off stage. Paul bursts in. He rescues Ted and Emma. Then we get probably the worst effect in the show. Uh, I, which is the professor getting his stomach torn open by the aliens. Yes, and they can. Cons- it's actually kind of really ambitious. They construct an entire 
torso and legs. A very, very obvious yes. effect rig. It does not help the fact that the camera sees more than maybe the audience would Oh, the have. audience would definitely not be that close. Yeah. I mean, it would still look bulky from the audience. It would still look fake. But, but it does not help being in a tight shot. When the camera shows them entering, it shows it from an angle where you can see his entire real body and the entire fake body in front of it, yeah. which does not help. But whatever, it was a very ambitious effect. I don't think it particularly worked well, but they, they did it. They tore his tummy open. Yeah, the the guts come out. It's it's cool. Um, they're trying to escape. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. As they're escaping, mm-hmm. and here's another thing, much like the army coming in, where I love when they address the limitations. Where as oh they're God, about yes, they're, they're as leaving. they're about to leave. Yeah. Um, they address that they're striking the set. <laughs> Emma yells. Emma yells. Should I take this chair? Yeah. And Ted says, "I'll grab the piano." It's wonderful. Here's that where is great. It, here's where well, I appreciate a lot of the comedy. Mm-hmm. Bits like that mm-hmm. could easily mesh in with a more horror focused show. You think so? I yeah. think so. I think like you think, you think gags I think, like that would work. I think more like the lantern hanging, the addressing the limitations of the form. Mm-hmm. That is a good place more than like during the alien invasion song. There's like we're gonna ride them and like uh, Charlotte's on top of somebody. Ride it, yeah. kick him in the nuts. Yeah, that, shit yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, where yeah, it's yeah. like we're emphasizing the comedy way over the horror yes but the lantern hanging of the limitations of the form i think much or much more palatable with a more horror emphasis okay but then again i don't fucking know i haven't seen it in practice sure sure uh what we're saying is we don't get to see this in practice exactly so we would like to see experimentation exactly uh but yeah so uh, Emma and Paul and Ted are running. Ted tries to make this big character speech about how he's grown as a person almost immediately after which Paul is nabbed by some zombies. Yeah. And Emma runs after him to save him and Ted steals their gun, uh, General McMara's gun, and runs off on on his own and, and sells him out. So he runs off. He runs into the military. And the military has turned. The military has been infected and the... In what was, when I first saw it, my least favorite song on the show, but has now grown on me quite a bit. The military sings a song very on the nose in terms of political commentary. Extremely on the nose. About America being great again. And yes, this came out in 2018. (laughs) Yeah, here's... Yeah, this was... I didn't hate it, Mm -hmm. but this is so heavy-handed. It's really heavy-handed. It's... Here's my prop. My reason why it was my least favorite song when I saw it first was like, I I, I have no problem with anybody taking a dig at Trump. No, I take a dig at Trump every day, uh, or at least I have until recently. Lately, I haven't been thinking about him as much for some reason, but uh, I I take a lot of digs at Trump, and but uh, it just didn't seem to add anything to the story. Now looking at it a second time through and paying more attention to the themes of the story, the fact. A lot of what they say has a double meaning. They talk about our borders being closed, which is actually a reference to the bridges being up yeah. for Hatchet Field. But it no, it's, it's definitely a song. It's definitely about the Mexican border. It's, obviously, obviously, it's just it, it's it's very it's so fucking heavy fisted, and it doesn't. If the rest of the you're right, there are thematic parallels. 
Yes. It is definitely about the show, but it's also definitely not about the show. And it feels so out of place. Yeah. If the rest of the show were more political, if it were more a political allegory, I could see it. But here it's just like... But there's almost none of that, except for this and the cop song. There's almost no political discourse yes. in the entire show. And here... And the cop song is... Silly. It's silly, and it's almost like... Most people do not like cops. Most people don't. It, yeah. It's yeah. This song is more of this, and then the cop song. And this is, is so is, is very funny. This one is meant to be. Uh, this is a dramatic scary. piece. Scary. Yeah, yeah. This is this is one of the one songs where they're going for horror. Yes. Yeah, uh, they're going it, it's for tension. The hive mind. It's we're all part of Big Brother. We're yeah. All, we're great again. Like yeah. She says. Uh, I, yeah. It didn't. It was off-putting to me. Not that mm-hmm. I disagree with the politics of it. Of course, it's yeah, just we both that, agree with the politics. Of it's it. just that, like, yeah, this just doesn't feel like bit, the place. Yeah, it just seemed a little bit out of place. Again, I like it much better the second time through than I did the first. Yeah, but the first time, I was Ugh, like, this and, is not the right time. And here is where I started to check out the movie again. Okay, yes, right. uh, I, I was like. Yeah, just for a while, I... Uh, you were really into it. I was really into it, and then I started to check out. Started and get, to fall off again. Like, started to play on my phone and do other shit. Like, I was still yeah. watching, but I was just... Right, right, yeah. But, uh, so, uh, well, I'm glad it, it it caught your interest for a while. Yeah, no, I definitely loved losing it. losing it again. I just, this song was, like, sort of put me off, and I was like... I get it. And then it becomes very plot-heavy. It does, yeah. At, at this point, there's very little time left in the show, so they start having to wrap shit up. So uh, Paul and Emma eventually do get to the chopper. Yeah. Uh, they get on board and they're uh, they're trying to fly out of town. Uh, Emma flips off Hatchet Fields. Yes. Fuck you, Hatchet Field. But then it turns out the pilot of the helicopter is, is Zoe. Uh, and Zoe, of course, turns around singing "Hey, Mr. Business, How Do You Do?" once mm-hmm. again. Uh, they kick there. She's about to shoot them. They kick the gun out of her hand, which causes the helicopter to, to crash. Yep. Both Paul and Emma somehow survive, but Emma is severely injured. Yes. Emma has some, uh, leg injuries, which cause her to cough up blood. <laughs> yeah. That's one of those, you know, yeah. one of them leg injuries. That, she must have gotten, she must have gotten key striked. <laughs> but yeah, so, uh, Emma tells... Paul, the that that the professor right before he went nuts had figured out that the one way to kill the alien was to destroy the brain, yes. just like any other zombie. Except this brain is located in the central location, mm-hmm. in the meteor, in the theater where it landed in the first place. So she and she says, Paul, I know that you like me, and uh, I'd love to see a silent movie with you after all of this. Let's have a kiss before you go off. But then she coughs up blood right in yeah. Paul's face, which was great. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> that was great. But Paul fights his way into the theater. Paul gathers up some grenades left over from the military and, and fights his way into the theater. Uh, and I believe... There, uh, this is where that reprise happens that you were talking about. Yes, the reprise happens, mm-hmm. uh, the song from the beginning. Yep. And Paul eventually, he's almost overrun by all the aliens. Yes. He blows up the meteor. Yes. In a a sequence which, to me, was strikingly similar to the movie Annihilation. Uh, yeah. It, yeah, isn't it? Wait a second. <laughs> yeah. They just stole the end of Annihilation. Didn't Annihilation happen af- come out after this? Wasn't that 2019? No, it wasn't 2019. 
Well, um, I know the book came first, obviously. Well, yeah, but, but yeah. that sequence was not part of the book. Oh, it wasn't. Annihilation okay. was 2018 and definitely oh. came out in the first half of 2018. And this came out at the end of 2018. February 23rd, 2018. And them being in Chicago, a Wait. major market, they yeah. would have had an opportunity to see it. Oh, man. Okay, well. but yeah, I'm not so saying, like... I know you're not d- actually if, saying that. If it still. was in any way intentional... It was a tribute. It was a, an homage, yeah. not a ripoff. But what happens is, so so like you said, Paul fights his way in. He gets overwhelmed by the aliens. The the they say that the the spores in the air are thicker here because it's closer to the base. So he Paul finally start starts being forced to actually dance and sing a little bit. And I appreciated that Paul is not a good singer. Yeah, he's not the best singer. He's uh, I I saw an interview with the actor who plays him. He said that uh, he's he's an actor first. He learned to sing later on to get more gigs. Yeah, but like that's not his focus, and that's not what he where he considers his talent to be. And, and yeah, despite being, it sounds like he's had some formal training. He definitely has. Yeah, uh, he plays not being able to sing very well. Yes. very well. Yeah, yeah. It's it's def- he he definitely the more infected he becomes, the better a singer he is to the point where by the end of this sequence, he's actually singing pretty well. But yeah, he he does a very good job of of playing that sort of internal conflicts by specifically playing up the badness of his singing. But this sequence ends with Paul. Well, wait a second. Before before it ends, uh, Paul is tempted by the aliens to sing an I Want song, and he says, I, it doesn't matter what I want, but he admits at, at the end, right before blowing up the meteor, that he has never been happy, that he doesn't think he has any integrity, and he his only personality trait is general hatred and disdain for for others and especially musicals he's like if i let go of that will i have anything left of me yeah and essentially no because you'll be hollowed out and replaced with by an alien yeah uh but in the end he does destroy the musical he fl- he flips open the grenade pulls out the pin and says i don't like musicals and throws the <laughs> grenade in fash big boom flash forward flash to the forward. aftermath Emma's still alive. Emma's still despite, alive. Despite despite her blood coughing up leg injuries. <laughs> leg injury. And she is now part of a witness protection program she's type been renamed thing. Kelly. Uh, and she's gonna be relocated to Colorado to start that pot farm. Yes. Uh, and she holds on to hope that maybe Paul survived, even though they say definitely not. But the squirrel did. Yeah, the squirrel the survived. The squirrel from the opening survived. But Peep says that there's someone named Ben Bridges who wants to see her. And they they know that he's a friend of hers, and they hope it'll become something more. Yes. And Uh, in comes Paul. In comes Paul. And here's my big problem with the audience reaction. Yeah. Is there are gasps when Paul comes back (laughs) up. Fuck your bullshit gasp. If you didn't think for one second that obviously (laughs) Paul was going to come back. Uh Uh-huh. You're a dumbass. Right. But it turns out Paul did survive, but he's infected. Oh, no. Again, the same twist as the end of the 1970s. uh, Yep. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Paul starts singing a song called What If I Told You to Emma. According to the song, he says the only way for him to have survived was to give in to this. The only way for humanity to survive is to give in to this. The end moments seeming to imply, to me at least, that... The problem with humanity is that there are too many, as much as we enjoy them, 
Pauls and Emmas, that there are people who get frustrated, get angry at the world uh, for the for the way that their lives have gone and just kind of float through life and, and don't really exist, whereas everyone in musicals have specific wants and motivations that all that all drive their characters forward to great heights and great uh, adventures, and therefore the only way to survive is for us all to be more like people in musicals. Yes. I don't know how serious the motive is, the, the, the message of the show is, or if this is just the Aliens sales pitch as far as the writers are concerned, but that was the takeaway that I had from, yes. from this last song. And I, I was not crazy about this final number. Mm-hmm. It didn't do a lot for me. It's basically just sort of a, a medley of the previous songs. Yeah. Yeah, and in the end, he, he they... There's a moment where the camera comes right into Paul's face, and he says, "The apotheosis is upon us," and they all sing that final note. And then, as the bows are taking place on stage, Emma, who is still in character, becomes aware of the audience's existence. And in what I think could have been the most effective horror moment of the show, she becomes aware of the audience's promise presence, and starts begging them for help as the cast drags her away backstage. Yeah, that could be incredibly effective. That could have uh, been incredibly effective. That is something that is only going to be effective for a live audience, though. Yes, um, it would not be it as would be, effective on screen. It would be hard to frame it. Uh, because It would be hard to pull that off. The, the presence of the screen presents a layer of abstraction where already yes. we are not connecting with Emma. Yeah. So her... The it, fourth it, wall is, yeah. is an actual wall when you're watching TV. Um, one thing we didn't mention that I, that was very clever is at one point... This is a very small, like, black box theater. Very small, yeah. Uh, at one point, while Emma and Paul are running around, they run through the audience. Yes. And it was a very nice use of space. Yes, they they actually utilize the audience a, a, a couple of times. There's one where they're trying to escape down an alleyway, and the alleyway is an audience thing, and they're they're pushing past all the audience members, and and Emma's like, "Whose idea was it to line this alleyway with so many bushes?" Yeah. <laughs> so let's finish up the Choose Your Own Adventure book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Jean Claude Van Darn mm-hmm. has just chopped off your hands. Ouch. For asking to go to school right. while you are on the time camel, <laughs> yes. which is a three mile wide, uh, sixty mile long yes. camel that is shaped like the elephant from Moulin Rouge. Right. Your your hands have just been chopped off. Yes. Do you say, please, sir, take me to school? Mm-hmm. Do you say, ow? Or do you say, I don't need hands. I'm Jesus Christ Himself, <laughs> Savior of time and humanity. You know what? I already lost my hands. Let's see how crazy this book can get. I'm going to say I'm Jesus Christ, Savior of Time and Humanity. Jean-Claude Van Darn, real name Pontius Pilate. Oh, no. Oh, no. I know. What a plot twist. What a plot twist. You didn't see it coming. And really, he's not Pontius Pilate. He's Pontius Pilate, great, 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 great grandson. Of course. Uh, however many greats. However it's a direct greats. line. Direct uh, line. He's a severely inbred. <laughs> uh, he's, a, he's not even an old man, as I first thought. He's actually, like, in his 20s. Yeah. He just looks horrible. Yeah, no, he's... <laughs> he has no chin... Uh, his eyes go vertical oh my instead God. of horizontal. Right. Uh, he's a mess. He's a fucking um, mess. But anyway, yeah. you end up nailed to a cross. 
<laughs> okay. Do you say, ow? Do you say, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do? Okay. Or do you say, please take me to school? I'm going to say, please take me to school. <laughs> you wake up from your space blunt trip uh-huh. because it was all drugs the entire time. Cool. But actually, you're in real jail. Why am I in real jail? How did I get here? Elder abuse. Wait, what? <laughs> gotcha, entrapment, motherfucker. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean entrapment? End of book. End of book. <laughs> you know, I'm I'll a... see you in prison, asshole. <laughs> you know, sometimes stop I... abusing those elders. <laughs> sometimes I think you might be making these books up. You're lucky I don't kill you on the spot. <laughs> Hey, at least at least I didn't gasp when Paul came back. True. No, you're one of the good ones. <laughs> so is there anything else you want to say about the guy who didn't like musicals? I would just say that like if if you watch it once and it's not your cup of tea, maybe give it a second try sometime down the road. Obviously don't watch it two times in a row, but like I would I would definitely say that I well I I thought it was okay when I first saw it. The musical, as I said at the beginning, has grown on me a lot, and the second time I enjoyed it way more than I ever did before. And at the very least, the soundtrack slaps. Yes. Uh, so I, I listen to that all the time. Yeah. So e- even before I really loved the show, I listen to it all the time. Yeah. It's definitely worth checking out. Mm-hmm. Next week, uh, I'm not sure what's going on yet. We right. may have our first guest. We might. And we may be talking about Joe versus the Volcano. But we know how our guest spot went last time true yeah uh if we don't talk about joe versus the volcano we will talk about something else <laughs> we, we certainly will uh which i'm not sure of yet it might be some weird made for tv channel 4 british <laughs> uh play bullshit sure um sure. but either way we will be here next week with another weirdy Another just for you, just for you, you, ungrateful assholes. Just for you, and 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 send us that uh, fan art on Twitter or Instagram of the time camel of the time camel because God, I want to see that. The more like a Jack Kirby drawing you can make it, the happier I will be. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> so Bruce, Tim, get on that. Yeah. <laughs> Walter Simonson. Please uh, pick up the phone. Mike Mignola, please return our calls. <laughs> yeah. Mike Mignola is probably the most uh, Kirby derived of <laughs> oh, all. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, guys. That was a fun.